Welcome to Equipping Christian Leaders, a podcast resource from Entrust. Entrust's calling is to multiply leaders from multiplying churches. Find out about us at our website, www.entrustthenumber4.org. That's entrust4.org. And now here's Lori Lind with today's guest, Scott Klingsmith of Denver Seminary. Uh, it's great to have uh, Dr. Scott Klingsmith with us on Equipping Christian Leaders today. And um, Scott, you go back a ways with our ministry and trust. I was wondering if you could tell us uh, a bit about your history with um with Entrust, and also just some of your involvement in training Christian leaders over the years. So my, uh, my first involvement with theological education was right after I finished college. I, I went to Calcutta, India to teach in Calcutta Bible College. And I, I went to teach music, which um, in that context was a little bit of a joke, but it gave me my first exposure to uh, theological education outside of the of the United States, and uh, really helped me to begin to see that that's a place where uh, that I could have an impact myself. Um, we we joined in trust in 1985, and um, after a, a period of raising support, uh, we landed in Vienna in uh, 1988. And so, uh, primary primary involvement at the beginning was. Uh, traveling to East Germany with uh, uh, a variety of times going to Czechoslovakia, uh, two countries which no longer exist. <laughs> and uh, then we, uh, after the walls came down, we spent some time in Romania, uh, had a focus there for about five years. And, um, and uh, since that time, I've still been involved in really equipping uh, equipping. Uh, leaders, equipping church leaders, uh, equipping people for cross-cultural ministry uh, in a variety of contexts, uh, both in um, kind of mentoring relationships, in uh, a variety of non-formal things, as well as teaching in uh, several different schools. Uh, School in Germany I taught for a while, and then I've been at Denver Seminary now for 12 years. And what are your um, roles, or what is your title at Denver Seminary? Um, it's a title that nobody knows what it means, and so it uh, allows a great deal of flexibility. Uh, my official title is Missiologist in Residence, um, which uh, basically means I try to in- encourage engagement with the world, uh, especially cross-culturally in any kind of way that I can. So I, I teach uh, Christian history primarily and um, uh, intercultural ministry courses here. Maybe you can describe a little bit what you were doing during the communist years. You were training Christian leaders, but by nature of the situation, it had to be non-formal. What did you do and how did that work? Well, the basic way it worked is that uh, students had uh, materials that uh, somehow magically appeared in in their hands. Uh, those of us who taught had no idea how that happened, and we weren't supposed to. Um, but they had workbooks and textbooks that uh, they would study on their own. And then uh, we had a variety of courses that we would work through with them. And so uh, those of us who were uh, facilitating would uh, join a group uh, usually once a month, depended on the context, 
and would spend an evening with them talking through the materials that they had uh, learned on their own, uh, encouraging them to, to uh, move further, talking about application, uh, usually getting, giving some kind of inputs just to try to encourage them and give them uh, a little bit of additional context. Um, so we assumed that the, the primary content um, transfer came through the written materials. And then our job as teachers really was to help them uh, integrate those things into life and to try to go deeper, uh, basically in a discussion kind of setting. And, and doing this, you say so you were traveling in and out to these countries and kind of quietly, low-key meeting with these guys. Do you feel that these men, through that method of learning, really became well-equipped to actually pastor or, or in other ways serve in the local church? Um, given the restrictions that we were dealing with, I, th I think so. Um, I don't. I don't think it was uh, the optimal thing. I think that had we been able to have more uh, regular, ongoing life-on-life um, -life contact, that maybe we could have been more effective. Um, we were we were in and out, so we weren't living with them. Uh, they weren't able to see us in uh, any fuller way than with when we showed up for four hours a month. Um, so I, I think had we had the option to uh, be more engaged at a personal level, that maybe we could have been more effective. But I think given the restrictions, um, many, uh, many people got uh, training that otherwise they had no access to and were uh, much better equipped to lead churches and ministries than they would have been otherwise. Mm -hmm. And then you did say that even so, after the walls came down, a lot of these countries and these leaders of, of churches and pastors quickly reverted back to classroom settings. They set up Bible schools and put people in chairs in rows and tables. And yeah. Why do you think they did that? Um, that's the way they were socialized, that schools is the way you learn. And what we did in groups was, uh, was really good um, since we couldn't have schools, but if we can have schools, we should. Hmm. And uh, in several cases, it, it took a little while uh, before they realized that actually the training that they'd had in a more a non-formal in a more discussion-based setting uh, actually equipped them better for ministry than just sitting in uh, a classroom listening to somebody lecture. But, uh, but the, the assumption uh, deeply ingrained was simply that schools are the uh, best way to train people. And how did that turn out? I mean, would you call that, say that that went, was good, bad, neutral? What effect did that have on ongoing training? Um, well, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give one example. In Bucharest, we had a, a group that uh, formed of young pastors, young Baptist pastors who were recent graduates of the seminary. And uh, they um, came out. Which seminary was that? 
Uh, the Baptist Seminary. Right in Bu so a Romanian-run seminary. In Bucharest. Okay, yeah. okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and they came out with a really good education in terms of uh, languages, in terms of theology, in terms of biblical studies, those kinds of things. And they became pastors. Uh, many of these guys were 22, 24 years old, something like that and discovered that they didn't have any idea about how to work with people or how to actually lead churches. And so uh, they they found us, even though they had already had a formal theological education, we had great times together, taking them um, more into the practical aspects of ministry. Um, they were in ministry at that point, and so there were immediate applications for them. and. So yeah, we had we had this great group. So so in some cases, it just took a little while for um, for people to see that sitting in a classroom wasn't necessarily the most effective way to equip equip people for ministry. Hmm. It does seem like 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 you say they had the knowledge, they had the the factual information, but then the the day to day application thereof was where they needed more. Exactly. Help. Yep. So, you know, how would it, in these countries, especially overseas, but even here in the in the West, there's an aspiring pastor or an elder, a church leader. If their only only of access is to non-formal training, like like this kind of like like we used to give in in under communism in those countries, how do they become solid in doctrine, theology? systematic theology well i mean i mean here in the west uh, the variety of resources that are available um are way way more than any any person can actually handle yeah so uh so if a person wants to grow uh in their biblical uh, knowledge and their theological understanding there are lots and lots of resources mm -hmm. um that's a little bit of a different story in much of the rest of the world where the number of written resources is much more limited. Mm -hmm. And so uh, access becomes a big issue. But um, really, even even here, um, both non-formally and formally access is is maybe the key the key issue right now. Um, schools traditionally have required somebody to uproot, to move to wherever the school is, to take two, three, four years out of their life and um, concentrate on the academic aspect of things. Mm -hmm. And today, for increasing numbers of people here as well as around the world, that simply is not possible. And, and so having access to training materials or to uh, training groups of one kind or another where they don't have to leave their home, they don't have to leave their job or their ministry, and are able to uh, continue to learn in their own setting just provides opportunities that uh, for people that otherwise would have really no access to theological education in any way. Right. Uh, and there are definitely those drawbacks, like you say, that uprooting. So how, um, are, are there more of those non-formal 
opportunities available? What kinds of things are available out there for those who can't uproot and go away to a seminary or for whom that's not the best option? Well, certainly there are uh, there are a variety of um, training opportunities in various places around the world. Uh, some are uh, well-established through um, older mission agencies. I mean, Entrust is a, is a prime example of that. Uh, what we did in Eastern Europe um, it was great for a time, and there are now uh, opportunities around the world through Entrust. But there are lots of other organizations that are, that are offering similar kinds of training. Um, what's interesting for me is that uh, there's really been a convergence. Um, it, it's been coming for the last several years, but especially I think um, the pandemic has brought this to a fore, that there's really a convergence between non-formal programs and formal programs. Uh, that um, colleges and seminaries in many places, not everywhere yet, but in many places have um, through the through the options of online education and and zoom and all these uh, technological advances been able to increase their presence to people in ways that traditionally only non-formal programs did <laughs> and so um and so there's there's an ability now basically for anybody in the world to access um seminary education or Bible school education uh, with the same advantages that non-formal programs traditionally have offered of being able to stay on, on site and in place and um, be able to integrate ministry and learning. Uh, and, and so, uh, so the options are, are really expanding right now in, in both formal and non-formal ways. It's so great to hear about a positive development coming from the pandemic, right? We'll leave it there for today, and next time Dr. Klingsmith describes how his formal training setting, Denver Seminary, is incorporating some of the strengths of non-formal training, including a really inspiring mentoring opportunity for students. This conversation with Dr. Klingsmith expands on his blog article, which you can find at www.entrust4.org under resources. Then just choose the Equipping Christian Leaders blog. Dr. Klingsmith's article was posted on May 10th, 2021. Finally, here's a question to think about and talk about until next time. What do you see as strengths of formal training for pastors and what do you see as strengths of non-formal training for pastors? Give that some thought, and I look forward to seeing you next time on Equipping Christian Leaders. Mm -hmm.